Amen. Thank you, Pastor Robert. Uh, good morning, church. I hope we all had a good week, right? And are you enjoying the little summer left? Yesterday, in, fr in front of our house, there were people who were just buzzing and having some sort of festival, like from 5 a.m. going, and the whole place was packed. You would think, you would think there was even no pandemic. Well, it's good. I mean, that's what summer is there for, right? So enjoy the rest of the summer left. And grill some meat, go to the park, have fun, go to the beach. Because summer is just ending very soon, amen. And whilst that's happening, let's also keep in mind our friends and family month. Even though we are not congregating corporately as, as a church to pray for the whole span, I want to believe God that on our own we will be able to observe it. If, if salvation is that important to you, that alone should be a motivation. I don't think really gathering together as a church should serve as motivation. But if you see what God has really done for you, and then looking back and seeing where your family is, if you can't contrast and see the urgency for them to be saved, I really don't think that meeting corporately will be enough motivation. So I just want to believe that uh, having a hunger and a desire for our friends, family, loved ones to be saved will serve as great motivation for us to pray. So just as Pastor Robert rightly said, uh, let's observe it. So if you've never done the 30 for 30, I advise you this week, uh, participate. Amen. And let's pray. 30 minutes a day for 30 days for the salvation of a soul. Amen. Uh, it's in line with our vision. Our vision is gospel for everyone church for every community. So if you look at our vision carefully, we are a soul winning church and we are a church planting mission. Well, that, that's basically the vision. And for that to happen, it's very important for initiatives like this to take place. And if you look at our mission, our mission is what will help us to fulfill our vision. And what is our mission? It's always read every Sunday. Pastor Robert just read it. Winning souls. See, that's the first way. So, how will we be able to preach the gospel to everyone? It's by winning souls. And we don't just celebrate or stop at winning souls. We will also have to build believers. And we build believers through consistent discipleship, which is consistent with our fellowship. And it's not just enough to build believers. We also have to build churches. We believe in planting churches in community. And our value system on which churches are planted on are integrity, character, and charisma. So all these things that keeps on being reiterated Sunday after Sunday, it's not just a buzzword. It's very significant and it holds truth with what God has called us to do in ICC worldwide. Amen. So I hope we will all take notice of the 30 for 30 prayer campaign and and put our hearts to it and seriously pray for the salvation of a friend or a loved one. Amen. Okay. Happy Grandparents Day. I'm like this day, there is a day for everything. I didn't even know there is something called Grandparents Day. 
as I work on Friday and I was looking at our work calendar and I say, wow, there's a day for everything. Happy firstborn day, happy brothers day, happy sisters day, happy grandparents day. So all grandparents who have who are privileged to have grandchildren, we celebrate you. Amen. Alright, yesterday too was the 20th anniversary of 9-11. So instead of us having a minute of silence, I want us to have a minute of prayer um, for the nation. Okay, it's a very dark and a very um, grim memory. In the history of America, uh, not one that we, we look forward with pride. So I just want us, as we begin right now, to have a minute of prayer in silence. So just pray in the next one minute and uh, let us pray for America and all of our victims. Father, we want to thank you for this nation. Father, we bless America. We commit the state of its affairs into your hands, O oh Lord. Rule in the affairs of men, O oh Lord. Continue to guide this country. Continue to bless this country. Bless all seats of government and seats of power, Lord. We pray for wisdom for our leaders, O oh Lord. We pray for the economic future of this nation. We pray for the salvation of this country too, O oh Lord. Father, we thank you that your blessing will continue to rest upon here. May this country, which was first founded on godly and biblical principles, continue to stand the test of time. And Father, we want to intercede for America this morning. Even if we have remove the ancient landmarks. We pray that help us be on the pathway to coming back to those truths. And we want to pray for everybody whose life has been impacted one way or another by this tragic event of 9-11. We pray that Holy Spirit send comfort, soothe their pain. May they find assurance. May they find peace. And anybody who is finding it even hard after 20 years to have closure, Father, we pray that 
send your Holy Spirit to guide them through step by step that it will become easy. I pray that whoever has a yoke, whoever has a burden as a result of this catastrophe 20 years ago, I pray that, Lord, let there be relief. We pray that, Lord, let their yoke be easy. Let their burden be light. Because indeed you are the answer. We thank you, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, we are continuing our series on the book of John. Amen. Um, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, Volume 3. And today is our 52nd installment. So we are wrapping up chapter 10 today. So please turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 10, verses 29 to 42. John chapter 10, verse 29 to 42. And I read. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Verse 30. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. So Jesus answered them, saying, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? Verse 33. The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, You are gods? Verse 35. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. 39. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first. And there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign. But all the things that John spoke about this man were true. If you use a book Bible, you can underline the word this man. And many believed in him there. Amen. God bless the reading of his word. Based on today's reading, I'm ministering under the sub-theme, we can do nothing against the truth. Father, we thank you for the illumination of your word. Thank you for the inspiration behind this word. Thank you for the inspiration that I will speak under. I thank you that I let your word have a way and a working in everybody's life at each and every juncture of their walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jesus continued the subject on eternal life. And last week, that was where we ended on. When Jesus says that if you believe in me, you shall be saved. You will not perish. 
And Jesus ended um, on verse 28, where we ended on last week, saying, And you will not be snatched away from the devil. You will be kept safe. So when we come into Christ, not only are we saved, we are also protected from the united energies of men and demons. As a Christian, have no fear of what man, the devil, or demons can do to you. Because scripture says your life is hidden in Christ in God. So we are not just afforded salvation, which means we have experienced eternal life. And when we experience eternal life, it has more to do with the quality of our spiritual life. It impacts on that area. Not only that, Christ is also interested in offering us protection to the devil, man or demons can't harm you. I find it so amazing that there are some Christians, all that they can think of is the devil or demons. And when you're a Christian, I'm hereby admonishing you by the Spirit of the Lord. Never be afraid of what the devil or demons can do. Amen. Now, nobody can do anything against you. Nobody can do anything to you. Because you can bank your hope on this scripture, which says that we are protected and we are definitely in his hand. Amen. Um, there's one thing you also have to know about people dying. When a Christian dies, <clears throat> don't attribute it to devils or demons. There are many reasons why people die. One, because the person is human. That's what you have to remember. Christ came to give us life and give it to us abundantly. He's talking about eternal life where we will not be separated with God. So it has nothing to do with um, the number of years per se on this earth. So when a believer dies, that is not the time to attribute it to the devil or demons. Are, are you listening to me and are you understanding me? Uh, you have to understand that there are probably many reasons why, and three of them why people die is, one, you are human, no matter how spiritual you are. You are human. The second reason is because of the falling state of this world. This world is shaped, conceived in sin because of one man. Everything about it is faulty. Hence the reason God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Okay? Because this is already tainted. And why is it tainted? It is tainted because of sin. It is tainted because of curse. And the forces are working against us, whether we have been saved or not. So that was the second reason why. And the third reason why people normally die is because it's an appointment. Hebrews 9, verse 27, the Bible says that, it is appointed for man to die once and after death, judgment. So it's an appointment we all cannot miss. Amen. So let's learn how to put our trust in God and not ascribe things to the devil. Are you understanding me? With this in mind, I will also say that as Christians, we have to also live vigilantly and be careful. Uh, we did that in our Bible study some few weeks ago where the scripture says that we should learn how to be circumspect 
I think when we dealt with the stewardship of time, and, and living circumspectively simply means you are careful. You are vigilant. Amen. And you do do diligence on what you will have to do on your part. Amen. But now, Jesus is about to land a very controversial statement, which is the meat of our text today. He said, I and my father are one. Now, don't be surprised at their reaction. Because to the Jewish man, this was blasphemy. And they were acting according to the law. But they were being biased. When you read Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16, it is established in writing that anybody who blasphemes the name of the Lord has to be stoned. And blasphemy in their time, and even still today, is when you say you are God or you are equal to him. You see, there is one thing about these Jews you have to understand. They knew Jesus after the flesh. They knew his mother was Mary, who got pregnant out of wedlock. You see, that was not strange news. It wasn't a mystery. It was something known. You know, Mary was betrothed to Joseph. And they didn't even yet have the marriage ceremony. And then Mary got pregnant. So, it, it, it might look like Jesus came out of an amorous affair. In one of the chapters of John, you remember we did it. They insulted Jesus. You, do you even have a father? Even though it was public knowledge that Joseph is the father. But even that, the, patern, the paternal aspect of Jesus was even questioned. Because people may, didn't even see that Joseph is the legitimate father. Some way, some uh, insinuating that he might be the stepfather. They knew him after the flesh. They knew of his nativity. They knew where he was born. He wasn't born in a very extravagant place. He wasn't born in Rome. Okay? He wasn't born in Ephesus. You see, these were rich places to be born. Rome is this, the place of power. Ephesus wasn't born in Ephesus. It was a place of financial um, and prosperity. He wasn't born in Corinth. Corinth was a very developed country, very um, um, developed city, I'm sorry, very philosophical place, you know. It's known to be a place of wisdom. He wasn't born there. He was born in Bethlehem. And which part of Bethlehem? He wasn't even born in a hospital. He was born in a feeding trial. Alright? So they knew of his nativity. They knew of his hometown. His hometown is Nazareth. That's why when Jesus ministered to John, I'm sorry, ministered to Nathaniel in John chapter 1, Nathaniel responded, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Something good can come out of Nazareth. Even in our mind's eye, we have even pictured some places like, This place is no good. It's, it's, it's a reality. Unfortunately, Jesus' hometown had no prestige. In fact, when you read one of the Bible commentaries of, on Nazareth, it is said that Nazareth is just one street with about 7 to 14 houses. Well, that's what the commentator says. So, probably you can just imagine. It must be a very small place. It must be a place that everybody knows everybody's business. It must be a poor place. It must be a place not too exciting. 
It might not be Miami. It might not be LA. It might not be, even be Alpine, the most expensive zip code. You know, uh, but, but that was where Jesus came from. And they knew his hometown. They knew his family. All right. When you read the Bible, you realize that Jesus had, was not just the only child. He had brothers, right? And he also had a sister. He had, he had family. They, they knew of his family. They knew of his occupation. They knew he was a carpenter. They knew that. He was not a soldier. He was not a fisherman. He was not a tax collector. He was not a pharmacist. He was not a lawyer. But he was a carpenter. They knew that. They knew his age. They knew he was young. At this time when Jesus was preaching, he was 33. He was in his 33rd year. They knew he was young. That's why in one of the chapters, they questioned him. You are not even 50 years old. Look at how you are talking. You are saying that before Abraham, you are there. They knew his age. And, and Jewish people had the factor of ageism. You know, and ageism means that they will only treat you or they will only add some preferential treatment based on your age. That means with, within your age comes a certain wisdom uh, uh, that you can offer. And that is not always true and that is not always the case. Jesus had no physical aura or honor around him. The Bible is not afraid to say that. Isaiah chapter 53 is one. He was just plain, you know, very bland. You know, there was nothing um, um, attractive. There was nothing striking about Jesus. Jesus was not the time when you look at, he was not the type that when you look at him, you, you will turn your, your, your neck again and look at him twice. That, there was nothing mysterious not, uh, in the person. I'm not talking about spiritual, but I'm talking about natural. There was nothing about him. Are you understanding me? It was one of the reasons why they really despised him. You see, when you read the Bible, it lets us know that people like Jacob, nice guy. In appearance. It lets us know people like David. David was handsome. It lets us know people like Saul. Saul was tall. You know, Saul had physical presence. Jesus didn't have physical presence. God he had physical presence, it would, it would have been written. That was one of the reasons why Saul became a king. Because of physical presence. He was a guy. Physical presence. You know. Jesus didn't have that. Um, he, and, and, and all these things, there were many other things against him. This was what the Jews factored. So when Jesus said that, I and my father are one, they counted it blasphemy. Because they saw him as a man. And it was highly offensive to a Jewish man. Now, this is a very important statement, verse 30. I and my father are one. Why? Because it's a statement which regards to us the deity of Jesus and the nature of the Godhead known as the Trinity. Now, carefully listen. This statement is not saying Jesus and his father are the same person. Are you understanding me? That's not what it's saying. Now, when the Bible uses the word, I and my father are one, it is rather talking about Equal in nature and equal in essence. Equal in nature, equal in essence. And what do I mean by equal in essence? Equal in essence that they are one in working, one in power, and one in will. 
Because when you look at the word one in this verse, it doesn't ref necessarily refer to persons. It, it, it has not, it, 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 uh, numeracy is factored out of the equation. It's talking more about essence. And this, this is where we also get the, the, the term the triune God. And this is where the, 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 the term coined Trinity has come from. And when we talk about Trinity, what are we talking about? We are talking about three coexistence, three co-eternal persons who are God. Are you understanding me? So we are not talking about three gods. We are talking about three coexistent persons, three co-eternal persons who are God. It's just one God. We are not talking about three gods. I hope I, hope I, make, I make myself clear. No, and there is only one God. That's also what you have to know. So this also destroys the theology of oneness theology. You know, and, and in our circles today, there is a popular theology called oneness theology. People rather define Jesus that he came in a mode. Jesus manifested himself as the Father, manifested himself as the Spirit. That's not really true based on this scripture the godhead is about three co-existent persons three co-eternal persons who are god but they are not three gods i'll make myself clear and and also what you also have to understand is that jesus is not in what they call modalism he's not expressing himself in mode so sometimes one of the popular ways i've heard people define the trinity it's like, okay, Stephen, the father, Stephen, the husband, Stephen, the professional. And we try to liken it to God. Or sometimes we have even used the state of water, the liquid states, the, the gaseous states, and then the solid states. That is not the trinity. You can't, you can't use these to define the Trinity because you are talking about modes. But that's why, that's why when you read this in the original Greek, it doesn't say, I and my father are the same persons. It's rather talking about we are equal in nature. We are equal in essence that, that we, we work in the same way. We have the same power and we work in unison as, as in one will. We are three co-existent persons, three co-eternal persons, but there is one God. I hope I'm making myself clear. Do you understand it? So there are not three gods. There is one God, but three co-existent persons, three co-eternal persons. Amen. Now, after Jesus had astounded his audience with this quote-unquote biggest blasphemy, he went ahead to query them that why do they want to stone him? If he has shown them the good works that his father had sent him to do. And um, their response was quite funny. They said that because you make yourself to be God. That's the problem they had with Jesus. They saw Jesus as a man who was trying to make himself to be God. Jesus didn't have to make himself God. When Jesus came on earth, he just showed himself to be truly what he was. And what was he? He was the son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity. 
He is God. So when Jesus came, he did not really have to make himself to be God. He actually came to show us who he truly is. And how did he show us who he truly is? By scriptures. And when he about him, showed that he is God. He is the son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity. And secondly, by the works. Which he was sent forth to do by the father and the works further on validated his claim that of a truth he is the son of god and he is god and he was sent forth by the father to bring forth light and life to mankind and that's why we when we did john chapter one the bible lets us know that in him was life and the life was the light of men now I want us to read the scripture in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 to 18, to support the fact that when Jesus came on earth, he didn't have to make himself God. He just had to show who he truly was. So now go with me to Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 to 18. You know, I thank God that um, this book has 21 chapters. And chapter 10 is sort of in the middle. So I really think that this is like the central theme of the book of John. To understanding the divinity of Christ. Amen. So Revelation chapter 1 verse 9 to 18. John the author of this book met the real Jesus. Who is audience? The Jewish people who had stones in their hands we're getting ready to throw at Jesus. Is it any surprising that John writes with such conviction and belief in Jesus' deity due to this encounter? So let's read verse 9 to 18. I, John, both your brother and companion, in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, many, many theologians are speculating that um, John wrote the book of John after Revelation. It's not really a, 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 um, um, a solid truth yet, but how be it, what matters is what John saw. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, you see, so John was in the spirit. And the Bible lets us know that he had a loud voice behind him like a trumpet. And what did the loud voice say? I am the Alpha and the Omega. Do you know? I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. Do you know that that's what God also ascribes to himself? Now he has. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. Then, look at what John said. What you see, write in a book and send to the seven churches. So, John received a message from this voice that says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the first and last. I'm going to give you a set of instructions. Write them to the seven churches as you hear them. Verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. I'll also be interested in seeing that voice. I saw seven golden lampstands. 
as one like the son of man. Now, it didn't say that it was the son of man. It says it looked like the son of man. Are you understanding me? down to the feet and gathered about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, white as snow, his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet were fine brass, as if refined in furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Now the description there sounds quite scary and terrifying. And look at it. He had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun, shining in his strength. This is a whole apostle. A whole apostle, John. A guy. He just fell dead. He just fell dead. on me saying do not be afraid i am the first and last i am he who lives and was dead and behold i am alive forevermore and then when you when we go through the book of john you see that this john he laid his head on the bosom of jesus so perhaps he might be saying to himself, was this the one I was laying my head on his bosom? You see, look at the real Jesus here. The first and the last. He is the one that holds the keys of hates and death. John saw the real Jesus. So when Jesus came on earth, he didn't have to claim to be something that he wasn't. He just came to show who he truly was. And who was Christ? He truly was the son of God. He truly was God. Hence his title, the first and last, the alpha and omega. And he also has the keys of hate and death. Why? Because when he died, he resurrected again. So this is who Jesus truly is. So may I say something? No matter how much reaching you have had on Christ, this is, the, 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 this is what will help you to see Christ in the right way. And that's what happened to John. I was in the Spirit. So how will you be able to know the divinity of Christ? You will be able to know the divinity of Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we have to appreciate the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because when we appreciate the ministry of the Holy Spirit... Truly, we will come to know the divinity and the deity of Christ. For you to know who Christ is, you will not know who Christ is by externals or through your natural mind. Amen. Now, that's what this audience relied on. They relied on externals, hence their indignation at Jesus. Now, in Jesus answering their question, Jesus quoted Psalm 82 verse 6. And Psalm 82 verse 6 gives a very uh, interesting statement there that you are God. Now, when you look at this statement, Jesus was also not promoting the little God heresy or the little God doctrine. In fact, when you look at this word, we are God, it's just a dark scene. That's why I always say that when you read the Bible, please be mindful. There are two languages. 
of the Bible. There is a plain language. There is a dark scene. This is one of the dark scenes. So before you run around saying that Psalm 82 verses says we are gods, try to understand the meaning of this word in context and in spirit. Now, what is the meaning of this word, we are gods? It simply means they were judges. That's it. So Jesus used Psalm 82 verses to refer to them that, are you not judges? And why does he say they are judges? They were judges because they have the scripture given to them. So what Jesus was saying was, Instead of you taking stones and relying on your emotions to kill me because you believe I have blasphemed, why don't you judge that am I not the Christ? So Jesus here was not talking about little God's doctrine. Jesus was talking more about being a judge. Amen. So instead of relying on biases, rely on the scriptures. And you have to have sound judgment of the scriptures to be able to find out the truth of who Jesus is. So it doesn't just take the ministry of the Holy Spirit for us to know who Jesus truly is. We also have to be judges. We have to judge by looking at the scriptures. And when we look at the scriptures, the scripture has enough testimony, enough evidence to buttress and support the claim or the facts that Jesus truly is God. Do you understand? So it's not just listening to preaching. You have to rely on the ministry of the Holy Spirit for you to know who Jesus truly is. And then you will also have to rely on the scriptures. Be a judge. Search the scriptures. Judge the scriptures for yourself. And when you judge the scriptures, there is nothing that you will find but so much truth and so much evidence that will point to the fact that Jesus is not just a man who came on earth, but he is the Son of God and he is God. Do we all understand? After his discourse, his audience wanted to seize him. I thought I wore a watch. I was looking no watch. After his discourse, his audience wanted to kill him. They still wanted to kill him. But I love how the story ended. Jesus went to Jordan. And when he went to Jordan, many people came to Jesus. Many people believed in who Jesus truly was. Why? Because of John's testimony. So everything that John has said about Jesus was true. Everything about the man was true. And when Jesus came, he wasn't a phony. He was also the truth. And that is where we get the title from, we can do nothing against the truth. So you see, no matter how the indignation of the Jews and how violent they wanted to be against Jesus, they still couldn't suppress the truth of who Jesus truly is. And Jesus is the son of God. Still, Jesus had people that believed in him. Still, Jesus had people who believed in his divinity and did not just see him as a man, but they saw him as the son of God. They saw him as God. So, we can do nothing against the truth. No matter the assault on the church, nothing can stand against the truth of the Messiah being the son of God. Look, you can make movies about it, write books, uh, do all sorts of things. I can't remember. Uh, maybe Netflix about two or two or two years ago, 
you know, they, they were saying that people should boycott Netflix. Why? Because they have made a movie portraying Jesus as gay. You can do all these things. It will still not suppress the truth. It will still not hide the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the Messiah and He is God indeed. There is nothing that we can do against the truth. Amen. And I mean absolutely nothing. It will not prevent the church from growing because Jesus is Lord. It will not prevent people from coming to Christ because Jesus is Lord. No matter the conspiracy theories, no matter the brilliant minds that will form a league of alliance to try and dispute and refute the claims of the divinity of Jesus, it is still never going to stop the knowledge of Jesus traveling abroad that Jesus is the Son of God, He is the Messiah, and He came to save. It will not prevent people from experiencing a worldwide revival. And I believe that before Christ comes in, His, his coming is going to usher in a worldwide revival where many souls will come to the saving knowledge of Christ. I tell you, no matter how many Christians are killed, Christians can be persecuted wherever, in the Middle East. They, they, they can be tortured for their faith. But it is never going to stop the truth. And what is the truth? That Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. And He is God. Because this is the singular truth that is built on the foundation of our Christian faith. And there is nothing that we can do to stop the truth. It will not prevent us from proclaiming Christ as Lord. Even though people might laugh at us, even though people might think that we've gone cuckoo, it will not prevent us from preaching the word of God to people that Jesus is still Lord. It will not prevent us from winning souls among our friends, winning souls among our family, winning souls among our loved ones during this 30 for 30 campaign in our month of September, we still believe in the gospel and there is nothing that anybody can do to stop the truth. These people thought that even if they would kill Jesus, it would have stopped the spread and the evangelism of the message. But the message rather traveled and rapidly grew at a fast pace. No matter what people do no matter the intentions and the evil imaginations and whatever machination has been planned by the enemy from the pit of hell it will never stop the truth that jesus is lord there is nothing anybody can do against the truth that jesus is the son of god and let me tell you something it will never prevent the church from closing down Yes, there has been a pandemic, and I know churches are struggling with, you know, in-person attendance. But how be it, our truth is sure and it is steady because it is built on the foundation that Jesus is not a man. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah, and He is God indeed. And there is nothing that anybody can do to close down the church, irrespective of that. Nothing can be done against the truth absolutely nothing why because jesus is god lift up your hands and begin to thank him give you praise thank you lord we've known the truth you are the son of god i and my father are one we've come to know that you are one in essence and in nature. 
You have the same nature of God. You are not just a historical figure. You are not just a figment of man's imagination. But you are the first and the last. You are the Alpha and Omega. You are the one that revealed yourself to John. That you hold the keys of hate and death. Thank you. It is you we have come to. Eternal Father. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. Oh, we just want to thank you. Thank you that we are serving the real truth. It's more than facts. It's the real truth. It's the reality of who you are. The Lordship of Jesus Christ. Oh, thank you. We thank you that in the coming days, may our testimony of you become sure because the Holy Spirit will speak to us. We thank you that in the coming days, may, may our faith be hinged on the solid truth that you are the Messiah because we are going to judge accurately by the scriptures where we will have countless testimonies, evidence, and truths that you are the Son of God and you are God indeed. We give you praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are, you've been set apart from any religious figure of any religious setting and following. You are God. You are God. We worship you. Thank you. Thank you. We deem it an honor. Deem it a privilege just to worship you and say thank you. You are God. And all that we can say is that we worship and we thank you. Hallowed be your name. Lord of majesty. Divine authority. Hallowed be your name. We give you praise, O Lord. Thank you for this word. Thank you for this word. O Father, I pray that may we know you more and more. In this year of knowing Christ, may we truly know you. May we know you as the Son of God. May we know you as the Messiah. May, you, may we know you as the first and last. May we know you as the Alpha and Omega. May our knowledge of you be strengthened day by day. Day be strong and indeed shall do exploits. We count ourselves candidates of great exploits on the foundation of knowing who you truly are. We give you praise now and forever in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Pastor Robert, over to you.